Hey, my name is Daniel Simo, and this is 14 Days, a project where I put together an audio piece every day from inside Hotel Quarantine in Sydney, Australia. Today is day 11. You know, one of the most striking things when I landed in Sydney Airport a couple of weeks ago was not something I saw, but what I didn't see. The airport was virtually empty. An empty airport is a haunting, eerie sight. I passed through immigration and there were four or five agents all waiting at their stations with nothing to do. I asked one of them how many people she saw on a typical day, and she told me maybe 15 or 20 the whole day. And then as I walked to the carousel to collect my luggage, conspicuous in its absence was another big part of the traditional Australian airport experience. The sniffer dog. Those little Labradors that would walk around checking if anyone had fruits or nuts or honey in their bags. Those dogs were one of my first memories of arriving in Australia as a teenager. At the time, I was obsessed with two things, music and stand-up comedy. My dream at the time was probably to be a combination of Slash and Bill Hicks. Once I turned 18, I thought I'd give it a go, at least the Bill Hicks part. One of the great things about youth is that you'll often try out things that you might not at a later age. I guess a lack of self-awareness can be a useful thing sometimes. So for a couple of years in the early aughts, I would regularly do short stand-up sets at open mic nights in Brisbane and would sometimes even get some opening spots at one of the local comedy clubs. I don't remember much of the material I did. I wasn't very good. I mean... No one wants to hear jaded social commentary from a teenager with a baby face and a ponytail. But I do remember I had a bit about sniffer dogs that I would use on stage. One of the first things I noticed when I came to Australia and one of the first I think, jokes that I tried to tell was about sort of quarantine. Like how when you first get to Australia, at least back in the day, the first thing you notice is the, the little dog, the little sniffer dog that's looking for fruits and <laughs> yeah. vegetables. Fruit, yeah. <laughs> that's right. And then, you know, other countries have, you know, they're worried about bombs and drugs, but Australia, fucking bananas. <laughs> Today's piece is a little different. I'm speaking to Greg Sullivan. Greg's been a stand-up comedian for more than 25 years. He's also a writer and a radio broadcaster. And he's someone I knew well at the time, but haven't spoken to since. We talked about that era of comedy in Brisbane, about how COVID has affected comedy and the performing arts, and about Australia in 2021. What do you remember about kind of that that time, that kind of early 2000s, sort of Brisbane, that era? Uh, A lot of drugs. I was doing a lot of drugs. Uh, I remember the Queen's Arms. I remember. Queen's Arms. Uh, I remember you giving me lifts home because I didn't have a uh, I didn't have a driver's license because of aforementioned drugs. Uh, so I would get in your little Ford car and you would give me lifts home. Um, I hadn't. I. I gone over to LA and done a showcase at the improv maybe when I met you. Mm. That happened in 2000, I think. So basically my very sheltered 
country boy mind was being blown and expanded. Uh, and you were a part of that because you're an educated or an interested guy, an interested person, you know, had a, a different perspective. And you were one of the first people I met who, you know, uh, talked about things from a different point of view. Um, and I've, since then, I've been much more interested. Uh, I've met a lot more people like that, but you were one of the first. I remember that time just because I was obviously, you know, you've been in it the whole time and I was into that for like a couple of years. But to me, it seemed like that was that was an interesting time in Brisbane for comedy. Was it or was that just because, you know, that's the time that I saw? I think it was. I think, um, I, you know, I, I guess it felt the way that, you know, Brisbane stand up in the 90s possibly felt the way that stand-up felt, you know, in Sydney in the 80s, you know, or Melbourne in the 80s or, you know, LA in the in the 70s maybe. It was just uh, it was just an exciting period, you know. It was a boom of people sort of experiencing it. And, and, and also Queensland had been, had won Premier for 30 years and there was a, massive amount of corruption and 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 a lot of um, oppression of, of public speech you know Rodney Rood was you know put in prison for uh, obscenity um, Billy Connolly I think was arrested in, in in Brisbane for obscenity in the 80s so when when the National Party was uh, finally sort of ousted in, in the 90s. Um, there was a real flowering of, of, of expression and art, artistic sort of stuff. And a lot of people who had sort of moved away came back. And, uh, yeah, I remember I was at a party and um, someone um, someone passed me a joint and, and I said, oh, that kind of looks familiar. Who's that guy? Is he an actor or something? And and my friend said, "Oh, he's the Attorney General um, of the state." So, so this was like all of the people who were in charge of things in the nineties had sort of come from the like the left wing student sort of protest movement of the seventies and eighties, and um, so it was it was an exciting time to be there for sure, um, and, and and also. The, the population of Brisbane and southeast Queensland was was sort of growing very quickly. I think it had a lot to do with the widespread use and acceptance of uh, air conditioning as well. Um, you know, people suddenly found um, Queen, you know Brisbane tolerable. Um, people started <laughs> moving from interstate. Oh, barely. I, I, I... <laughs> I, always, I always had, you know, I had, I had a love hate relationship with Brisbane. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, I think, I think that's everyone, really. You know that I was going to say, like you were saying around that time, and how that was a tough time for you. And the one thing I do remember was you were always one of the friendliest and one of the most helpful guys in the whole scene. Not like to me. And to almost everyone. And, uh, you know, you, you would have us over at your place. I remember after, like, Queen's Arms. And I remember you would 
you would try to um sometimes you would try to give me opening lines because like I, mine weren't working and you're like you're trying to give me sort of an angle to make <laughs> myself you know familiar and friendly to the audience so they could see who i was <laughs> and and it would be yeah. like you'd get, try to give me something and then <laughs> like i would go like Thank you, successful comedian, but uh, who knows what he's doing. I'm just going to try my own lines. <laughs> <laughs> and then they would tank. <laughs> um, yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> but, but you always tried. You always try. <laughs> yeah, look, you know, I, I, I try to give people advice, you know, but like... The way that I do comedy is just one of many, many different ways. Like I, I love Stuart Lee and he has absolute contempt for the audience, you know, and and his approach is not um, friendly or comforting or welcoming at all. And I, and I love it, you know, and I love absurd stuff as well. But mm. my, my, my thing is, you know, inclusive and autobiographical i guess like i did a a gig in nimbin for the mardi gras that was you know very political very very uh you know what i actually believe and but i can also go on a cruise ship and do a, a family friendly show for you know with there are children and old people and I have levels, depending on how much I'm getting paid, of the level and sharpness of truth that I, that I put in with, me, with my company. But, I mean, you know, like uh, uh, that said, um, in the family-friendly shows where I can't talk about sex, I talk about death. A lot, and kids love it. Kids <laughs> love death and violence, wow. and old people are fine with it too. the 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 the, the, the family friendly show is much more violent. <laughs> <laughs> what what do you think? What effect do you think? Well, I mean, what effect has COVID and the whole pandemic had on on comedy and what and what do you think is gonna how do you think it's gonna affect it in the future i guess well i guess i lost i guess i've lost about a hundred grand so far wow of income that i would have made because um i had just before covid i was i just started to do shows on several different cruise ship lines, which whilst they aren't uh, <laughs> they aren't art necessarily, um, they would pay like, you know, three grand US for a week. So, you know, if I could get a few of those, it made things, you know, just a, a lot more comfortable. You know? mm. And I don't know, I don't, you know, I've, I don't know if those if those ships will come back, and maybe they shouldn't. I'm, a, I'm I, I I've only ever voted 
for the Greens. Um, I'm, uh, I'm aware of the climate cost uh, of, of, those, of those ships. One thing I've been asking, I've been talking to a lot of different people uh, like the last couple of weeks. How do you feel about Australia right now and the future? Oh, I feel very grateful that I have been able to have the benefit of the hard work of my ancestors and the benefit of the bounty of the land that was stolen from the Indigenous people of this country. Um, I feel very grateful that, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that uh, I grew up in this country and, and I, you know, I like the fact that the roads are paved and that, you know, that the healthcare system is good and that we have um, a distaste for our, our rulers as a rule. I like the fact that um, ruling class feels the need to pretend to have the same accent as us to a large extent. I had a great quote about um, Australia is that there are definitely people who believe that they were born to rule Australia. The only difference is that the rest of Australia doesn't agree with them. I know that other countries do things better than us and we should be able to listen and learn. Having worked in the media, I think a lot of people are unaware of how much their worldview is shaped by people who don't really care for them. Mm. And that's kind of sad. You know, there's a lot of good things. There's a lot of things that I, 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 I had no contribution towards as an Australian <laughs> that I've purely been the beneficiary of. But I, I'm happy that they happened in Australia. You know. um, but it, I, I think it would be kind of unfair and foolish to to not say that there's genocides, multiple genocides of people and, and ongoing horror and mistreatment and um, such such is life, you know. Like uh, I, I, I was born here. I, you know, I don't want to go anywhere else. I like New Zealand, but I, I don't want to go anywhere else. Uh, I don't know. How about you? Yeah, I mean that's 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 kind of what I'm I'm trying to work out is you know how to um you know I, th- I think when you knew me like if people would ask me where are you from I would say Mexican Bosnian or whatever yeah but now like you know you know I'm I'm an Australian citizen and and when people ask me where I'm from they I always say Australia but then there's a part of me that doesn't quite know what that means but. It's like I say it because it's sort of, it's easy, right? And, you know, officially it's true. But, like, what part of Australia are you from? 
And I, and I said, well, Melbourne, I guess, but <laughs> that's just because my family lives there. <laughs> but um, yeah, well, it's well, you know, like I've got Indigenous friends, and I mean, do they feel Australian? You would go, well, obviously they feel more Australian. Like the first instinct would be to go, well, they feel more Australian than anyone else. But you know, like, but do they feel Australian, or do they feel like they are widgeable people, or do they feel like they're um, Arakwa people, or and you know, what what's what's Australia done for them? And and it's like you know, the concept of this Australian is only 120 years old. Um, so I guess a lot of people feel the way that you do. Um, yeah. And, you know, uh, life, I guess, is uh, if, you, if you don't accept the meaning that's thrown at you through media and advertising and you don't have a meaning to Australianness through family, then I guess everyone has to make up their own sense of meaning. You know, this is pretty sort of postmodern yeah. sort of <laughs> point of view, you know, like every Australian is a is a pastiche, I guess. Uh, although I guess if you're gonna say pastiche, you're probably from Melbourne. <laughs> I'd like to thank Greg for chatting to me and for his encouragement back in the day. If the world ever gets back on its axis, you should go check him out live.